0: You guys ready? I'm rested. You know, I had a vacation this past week. I was out on the water there in Florida, got a jet ski. Uh, I had a little pontoon boat, not to make any of y'all jealous today. Uh, But there is something that can happen when you're just out on the water or even just on a balcony looking at the waves of the ocean. You, you You come to grips with the reality of how small you are. I don't know the last time you've had a moment like that. Maybe it was at a mountaintop. Maybe it was at the ocean. Those were generally my two places. But I was just reminded of how big and vast and powerful God really is. And I was also reminded that all of those waters, the writer of Psalms, he he writes that God can hold them all in the palm of his hand. And it just reminded me Number one, that God is in control. No matter what you're going through, whatever waves, however big they feel, whether they f- you feel like they are crashing over you, God has it all in the palm of His hand. There's nothing too big for Him. Yeah. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that because I mean, even last night, I, I found myself getting a little grumbly and a little complainy, a little whiny. Anybody have a? a a case of the whiners, wine, sins every once in a while. Yeah, you do. As humans, we, we can whine about our situations and forget that we serve a God who's really big and really great and really powerful and truly who loves you. It's easy to forget. That has nothing to do with the message today. That was free. All that was free. So. I don't know. Do this without, without going there on the screens yet. Turn to Genesis uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> when I was in high school, I had the pleasure doing this two times. Every year, I, was, I grew up in church, was part of our church youth group. And every year, we would either go on a mission trip, would alternate mission trip, or this thing called Wilderness Trek, where you and the whole youth group and some chaperones from the church... Uh, We would have a guide, and we would either drive or fly out to Colorado, and you would peak together a 14,000, 15,000-foot mountain together over the course of about five, six days. When you're in high school, that's intense. And there are all these things that you do to get ready for it that, truth be told, a lot of the parents needed to do more than the teenagers did. But you've got to, they encourage you to walk or jog. Why do you think that is? Because of altitude sickness and because the oxygen gets thinner as you get higher. And when you start getting into 10, 11, 12, 13,000 feet, you start feeling it. You're carrying a pack that's about 40 to 50 pounds. And so they encourage you to get a pack and start walking around with it and getting used to the weight of carrying another 40 pounds with you, which is not small. You've got your little water tablets, and you're, you're getting water out of the mountain streams, and you put it in to make sure you don't get... I forget what the thing is that makes you have to go to the restroom a lot. (laughs) Okay, it's not good. There's all these things that you do, that you buy, that you get prepared for. My father went on the trip with us. And if you've heard me talk about my dad, my dad was a big guy. He was a big dude. He could fit a quarter through his wedding ring, just to give you an idea. That's a big person. He was big. He was... Big this way, big that way. He just was a big guy. And he also just didn't think he needed to get ready for any of this. <laughs> and so we showed up. And if you, you got to know my daddy is no longer with us. Uh, he died at the age of 51. But we scaled a mountain together with my youth group. And there was a, a portion of this trip where you have to repel. And my dad, you got to love a dad like this. He just assumed, he's, he, I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> I'm a big guy. I'm not getting in that little dinky harness, you know, and backing off over the edge of a cliff. It's not happening. I'm not going to do it. And in the entire, the entire time of preparation, he just assumed he was not going to do that. And so we got to the portion of the trip where you have to rappel down the side of a mountain face cliff. And he just assumed that a guide would just walk with him or he could just walk around this and get to the bottom. And they said, sorry, it's not going to happen. You're going to repel down the side of this mountain whether you like it or not. Now, if you've never seen someone repel before that doesn't want to be repelling, it truly is a marvel to watch, especially a large man. Who, if you've ever repelled before, there, is, there are a few things as unnatural as grabbing a harness, literally, and stepping backwards over the edge of, of a mountain face. I mean, you're, you're hundreds of feet away, sometimes even more from, from the bottom, and, and you are literally walking off the edge of a cliff. And There's a way to do it and a way not to do it, and people that don't know what they're doing generally just eat the side of the rock all the way down the mountain, and that is exactly what my big, just full, larger-than-life dad did. It was a humiliating experience. He was the last one to go, and he probably would have figured out a way to not do it, had it not been for all of these teenagers at the bottom, all of these parents screaming at the top, you can do this, come on, you got this. You know, and just eat the side of the rock. It's a true story. We all survived, we all made it, but man, there's power, isn't there? In people cheering you on, you catch this for a second. Because we're going to talk about the strength and power of the church today. This isn't going to be a long message. We're going to get out to the cookout. We're going to celebrate God together and each other. But I want you to hear this. What we can do together is greater than what you can do by yourself. And there are a lot of cliff faces that you will never deal with that you will avoid, that you will run around, that you will try to skirt, that God actually wants you to address. And he wants you to strap on some repelling gear and get to it. And you actually need your church, your people, your tribe to cheer you on. Yeah, You need that. I need that. I was reminded of that while I was on vacation, sitting on the balcony, looking out over the water, And I thought to myself, you know what, God, thank you for my church. Thank you for the people that I'm walking with. Thank you for the coffees, and the lunches, and the life groups, and yes, the setting up, and yes, even the breaking down. Because together, what we do together, the life we share together, it makes us a better people. Let's do this. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. You know, there's something special about being together. I just mentioned what you can do uh, with each other is greater than what you can do by yourself. You've seen that on teams. If you ever watch like, the, the football documentaries on ESPN, I love it. You know, and, the, and the, the average, just the team full of, full of athletes that were 15, 16, 17 round draft picks. No, you know, they, they weren't the, the all-star athletes, but yet they come together and they do something unbelievable. I love those kinds of stories, the sports stories. I love the teams, the organizations who come together and do what no one thought was possible. They create, they make, they invent. They do. Teams are, are important. I remember, I remember getting in trouble as a kid. I grew up on the cul-de-sac. Big neighborhood. There was nothing like getting in trouble. And then there was nothing like getting in trouble with your friends. It was different, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, all, you got all just lined up. And you're just getting blasted by all the parents. This was in, I don't know if people do this anymore, but they did it in the 80s. It was, it was just... All the families got together in the cul-de-sac and basically just lined the kids up. What do y'all think you're doing? And when if it's by when it's just you, you feel like a dog. But when it's you and your friends, you you kind of feel like a dog, but you're also kind of like (laughs) that was awesome. You know, there's something about experiencing things with other people. If you've ever been scared by yourself, it's different than when you're scared with others. There are things that you can do, that you can endure, that you just can't do on your own. You guys with me this morning? Last one is, there's nothing like a funny movie. A movie is funny, but then when you've got your buddies with you, Why is it that it's that much funnier? And the movie's over, and all you do is repeat the same dumb lines, and you're like, oh my gosh. And you imitate the voices, and there's just something different when you're with actual people. That's great. So now here we are in Genesis 2 7. Keep that in mind, put that in the parking lot for a second. Because from beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, we see this idea of togetherness at play and at work. And in the beginning of Scripture, the Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in case you didn't know, says the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, his name is Adam, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Drop down to verse 18, and Scripture says that the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Before we get into all the theology of Genesis here, creation story goes like this. God created light out of the darkness, and he called it good. He literally says, man, that's good. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars and he sits back for a second and says, that's good. He creates the skies and the heavens and he creates the land and he does the same thing. He looks at it and says, that's good. And then he creates, uh, uh, the Bible says, creatures in the sea. He he makes it... uh, Filled with life. And he does the same on land. He creates creatures and animals and sea life, marine life. And he creates plants and trees and flowers and all of the things that you look at and say, God, that is amazing. That is good. And then he creates man. And it's not that man itself, the inherent creation of a man with two arms and legs and a a head and all that, was somehow bad. He looked at this creation, though, and he said for the very first time, this isn't good. And the reason he addressed it is because man was alone. That's it. And sometimes, church, what we can do is we can talk about how amazing our relationship is with God. And we should never not talk about how amazing God is. But sometimes we talk about it to the exclusion of relationship with other people. And God, His very self in Scripture, looked at man and said, this isn't working right This isn't good. This guy needs to be in relationship with someone else. This isn't good. He's alone. And so what I'm trying to get across this morning as we talk about the significance of the church and the church body is that if you are calling yourself someone who loves God, who is passionate about God, who wants to do the the will of God, then that means you must be in relationship with other people because God has declared from the beginning of Scripture that you being by yourself, it's not good. That's great. There are no lone rangers yeah. when it comes to following God. You guys with me today? Yeah. We need God and we need each other. Right. It's not real complicated today. We need God, and we need each other, and sometimes we get that balance out of whack, don't we? It's just God, and all, we, all you ever need is that, and, and yet God actually says there are other things that, that would be good and that you need. You need this, but then there's also the, the, the imbalance of all I need is relationships. I don't need my, my church and the church leadership or the structure of, or the, the laying out of how to actually follow God. We sacrifice one for the other, and the truth is you need both. If we need each other, if we needed each other when life was perfect, which it was, how much more do we need each other now that it's not? We need each other. Turn to Acts chapter 2. While you're doing that, I'll encourage you to get a High Point t shirt today. (laughs) Digging mine today. I know some of you are not a fan of the v neck. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith today and sport the v neck. It could have been a lot deeper, could have plunged much further. You know, the rock star t shirt, all the way down to the navel. You know what I'm talking about? It's disgusting. But we went for the, you know, the, the manly, you know, the, the manly v-neck. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> All right. If you're listening online, sorry about that. We just got a bunch of new High Point t-shirts and we're excited to wear them to our cookout today. Woo! Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. This is the early church. Jesus has has lived a perfect life, born the Son of God. He did what you could not do for yourself, and that is that he lived a perfect life. You couldn't do it, and he did it for you. And he took the punishment that you deserved for your sin, and he died a horrible, painful death on a cross, and he did it for you. And then he rose from the dead. And those who had been following are now organizing together in what we now call the early church. And this is what it looked like. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's early church for you right there. And it's a consistent theme that we see throughout the New Testament as you see the early church established, and we see letters written to these churches. If you're familiar with the book of Romans or, or Ephesians or Galatians or Colossians, those are letters written to these early assemblies of people that were pl- churches planted. <laughs> so I make strange sounds with my mouth yeah. on a microphone. <laughs> churches planted... In these cities, and they're getting together just like we're doing, and they're praying together, they're being taught together, they're worshiping together, they're sacrificing together, they're giving together, they're eating food together, and enjoying life together. And how often did they do it? They did it every single day. That's intense. Is it not? In 2016? Yeah. If, I were, if I were to stand up here and say, guys, we're going to start doing this every day, you'd say, kill me now. <laughs> you, you just, we don't have the chip or the capacity to imagine getting together with a group of people every single day. And yet there was tremendous power in it. Wow. There was a study... I, if you haven't had a chance to... I'm going to embarrass him for a second. If you had have had a chance to grab coffee with Brian here at our church, he's smart, and talks about studies, and, and I was swimming in data. By the end of my coffee and lunch, it was awesome. And I had all these studies that, I, that I, I'm, I'm researching that he referenced in our conversation, which, guess what, I, I don't really... Do that uh, on a general basis, but that's what he does partly for a living. And so we here I am swimming all this stuff. And there there's a study at Indiana University on on blind people, people that were that are congenitally blind, people born blind, and they wanted to do a study on on the power of of communication, specifically as it pertains to human gestures. And one of the things that the study found is that people that were born blind, children all the way up to adolescents, used the exact same hand gestures when they are communicating as those that have full range of sight. Meaning, even, by the way, when they were communicating to other people who were blind. Which poses an interesting thought process for us poses some great questions for us. Why would somebody who is born blind, who hasn't learned to communicate the way that you and I maybe would communicate because we can see, why would they communicate the same way and what benefit does someone who cannot see in speaking to someone else who cannot see, why would they be using their hands as they communicate because there is no added or gained benefit in the conversation? And what the conclusion of the study is, there's a lot of answers that we don't have that we don't know regarding just what it means to be human and human communication at large. But what we do know is that communication from one person to another is more than just words. Yeah. It's more than just speaking out of your mouth. There is something literally that happens When you find yourself in the presence of another person, something changes. Just like we talked about at the very beginning, when you're by yourself, things are different. When you're with other people, things are different. Something special happens. And here in an age of 2016, we're coming together in literal flesh and blood relationships. It's oftentimes dismissed as unimportant. Everything in our culture shifts us away from having genuine, deep, real relationship. What we have found and the data supports is that when you are in the presence of another human being, you change. Something happens inside of you. It's not even quite possible to to extrapolate all the information, but you're not the same. You don't communicate the same. You don't interpret things the same which means that as we're using Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and social media and texting and emailing, you are not experiencing the fullest measure of relationship that God intended for you. You're not. Because as we've just seen, communication is more than just words. And so when you are typing on your phone, Because that's how you type on your phone. That is one big phone. Let me unfold that and go to work. You're typing on your computer. When you're Facebooking, I'm not knocking it. It's a gift. But we have to understand and prioritize that the fullest measure of what God intended for you and for me is that we would be together. We're better together. We need God, but we need each other. And we need each other more than we just need communication through a device. We need to be in the presence of other humans, of other people that are loving God and worshiping him. And you know what else it means, church, is I'm I'm just going to take this a step further, is that this thing that we call church and worship, it cannot now be contained to you sitting on your couch watching a TV service, a church service on your television. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is that wrong? Of course not. It's great. Thank God for the gift of it. Thank God for being able to stream worship through your TV. Thank God for being able to listen to a podcast, listen to somebody preach. Thank God for li- being able to experience all of the things that can encourage you and give you the word and help you apply things, but it's still is not the same as being in a room with other people worshiping God together. Right. It's not the same. One of my favorite authors is Stephen Mansfield. He's in our 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 Every nation family in D.C. and Nashville spends about half the year in each place. There's a lot of writing. He's a historian by trade. and He he writes that the average American man over the age of 25 no longer has the capacity or ability to point to someone in their life that they would call a great friend or a best friend. I mean, I have this conversation regularly because I can find myself, if I'm not careful, drifting into that same category. And there's nothing inherently wrong or immoral with that. But understand that we need friendships and we need community, but the, the natural trajectory of our social engagements and, and our life is that it would move us away from Deep relationships with people. Think of your job. How many people have moved multiple times for jobs from one place to the next? How many of you are cranking out 60 hours a week, 50, 60, sometimes 70, even 80 hours a week for your job? It's a serious commitment. Am I right? Then you, you get married. You enter the season of life where you're getting married and you have children. And it's a blessing. But understand that now all of the sudden you're, you're, you're married, you have children, and you have your job. And the reality is, if you're not careful, you'll have no time for anything else. Yeah. And as time goes on, those relationships, it's, that, it's the person that you used to talk to every week, then it's every month, then it's every six months, then it's every year, and then... It's like it's almost too hard to even try to catch up. And I want you to hear that God has more for us than that. He has more for you than that. And that part of you being in a church family is that we would know each other and have genuine, real relationship with one another. Some of you here are introverts. I get that. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you have to be best friends with 900 people. I'm not even. Remote. Everybody has a different barometer and capacity for what that looks like, but we can all agree that we need people in our lives. Yeah. We need genuine, real relationship. We need God, and we need each other. Yeah. <clears throat> and so here's what we're getting to this morning. John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus looks at you, he has a name that he calls you. His friend. Jesus, the very son of God, king of the earth the one who holds the the waters of the seas in the palm of his hand, who breathed the stars into existence, who separated the sky from the land, who dealt with your sin and your iniquity, he looks at you and me, and he says, that's my guy. That's my girl. That's my friend. That's my great and best friend right there. And Jesus takes it a step further and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, How did Jesus love us? By laying his life down for us. No, no, what does the word say? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so what do we get to do this great morning? We get to grow in friendship with each other. Because if there's anything that this community needs, it's to see men and women truly love each other the way Christ loves the church. If there's anything our community needs to see, it's to see brothers and brothers loving each other the way Jesus loved his brothers and his sisters If there's anything my marriage needs to see, it's other people's marriages loving each other the way Jesus loved the church. If there's anything my children need to see, it's other children loving each other the way Jesus loved the church. And how does that happen if we are not in real flesh and blood relationship with one another? You will not get it from a television screen. You won't get it from a podcast. The only way you get it is by coming together and doing life together. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we go to the trouble of having something as silly as a cookout. Although I do love the taste of a hamburger and a hot dog. (laughs) The greater purpose is that we would have a moment to share life together. to get to know somebody better. For people that don't look like each other, to sit across from each other and to break bread and to have fellowship and love for one another. That's why we do it. By our love for each other, the world will know that we follow Jesus. They may not follow him, but they'll know something's different. So your challenge is, is, is one, it's the easiest challenge I probably have ever given you. I've given you many. Over the month of June, thank you. Over the month of June, I want you to take the time. I want you to carve it out. I want you to be intentional about building a relationship or a friendship with someone that you just don't know that well in this church. Most of the time, I'm, we're pushing you to reach out, engage, and pray believe for people that don't know Jesus to to, to come to the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus. And don't stop doing that, but take this month and invite somebody over to your house that's in this church and get to know them better. Make a new friend. Make time for it. value it and guess what else you can do come here we don't do this every day like the early disciples did we do it once a week we've got men's and women's groups that are meeting throughout the week as well and there is value in us coming together let's pray Father we thank you We thank you that you loved us like no other. You laid your life down for us, Lord. God, and you command and encourage and charge us to do the same, to love like you loved, to have friends like you had friends, to be able to look at someone and say, that is my friend. And God, we desire to live our lives as boldly And as recklessly as that early church, God sacrificing for one another, giving to one another, eating lunch and dinner and meals with one another, praying with one another, being taught together, growing with one another. God, that is our desire today. God, would you help us to have the courage to be vulnerable enough to do it? In the name of Jesus.